power. It shapes our world. What power do we really have? Does it come with incredible wealth or with a position of governance? There is a power that comes from God. A power that enables. A power that changes lives forever. The power of testimony. You see, the nature of the Christian story is that it's only ever one generation from being completely lost. For 2,000 years, the Christian story has been shared one person to the next, family member to family member, neighbor to neighbor, across the oceans to different nations. And for 2,000 years, this, this story has given God room in our lives. It's given the birth of the church. It's given transformation and power and life to the world that he created. And yet it's a story that we are uniquely responsible for also because our story gives us the ability to be able to share it. When we look at the Gospels, we find in Jesus' life that uh, he led by example on how it is to share this story. This picture here is from uh, John chapter 4. It's the woman at the well. And here Jesus is sharing with her at her level a conversation about spiritual things, but also about her own life. Jesus identified that she'd had a number of husbands. And that's the reason why she was there at the middle of the day, probably separated out from the rest of her community, because she would have had a rather marginal reputation, one would imagine. Five, five husbands in, a, in an environment like this uh, would have made her to be somebody of a loose reputation. But Jesus meets her and he answers her spiritual questions. And then as a result of that, she goes back into the village and she tells people that I've met a man who knows everything about me. And they come back and they hear the story and they too are amazed by how Jesus has changed this woman by engaging her and she too has gone and engaged a community that didn't actually want much to do with her. Another story uh, is about the Gerasenes demoniac. Here's a picture of what most of you probably look like in the morning. Um, and Jesus, Jesus confronts this guy as he comes down to confront him. Jesus gets off a boat with the disciples, and this demoniac comes down onto the beach where Jesus is. He's not wearing any clothes. He's got chains on his arms and legs. He's been living amongst the tombs. And he says, Son of God, why have you come to persecute me? So what happens is Jesus immediately confronts the powers and the principalities here, and he casts out a legion of demons into a herd of swine, a herd of pigs, and they run down the, the hill and drown themselves going off a cliff. Great day. Great day for the demoniac. Bad day for the pig owner. But, however, what happens is the people have seen what's happened to this guy, and this is the challenge that often we see, is that people can go through huge transformations when they meet Jesus. People see this event in a person's life, and they get scared about this. They're going, oh my goodness, if this has really happened to somebody, that means that the power of God and the story of Jesus is real. And that can cause people to back off. I've seen this happen a number of times where people's lives are radically transformed and they don't know, uh, people around them don't know what to do with that. 
And this is exactly what happened to Jesus in this time. Because the townsfolk came down, saw the man beside Jesus there in his right mind, as Scripture tells us, but they said to Jesus, we want you to leave. So, of course, the demoniac, now longer, no longer a demoniac, um, he decides that he wants to go with Jesus, which is perfect, perfectly understandable. Jesus says to him, no, no, you don't come with me. You are to go and share the story of what God has done for you. And so he goes off and he shares his story, it says, with all the cities in the area known as the Decapolis, which means the ten cities. And so it's a very powerful story of him meeting Christ, and then he goes and shares the story with others. So let me ask you a simple question. Who told you the good news about Jesus? When I say that, have you got people that pop into your mind? Put your hands up, those of you who have got somebody pops. Okay? A lot of you would have been raised and the story would have been just a part of your life. Okay? So it wouldn't have been necessarily a specific person. But for a lot of people, there can be a particular time and place where somebody shared the gospel with you. And this in itself is... um, is a demonstration, once again, that the story, the gospel, is only one generation away from being lost forever if it's not translated and transmitted through other people. Now, I picked up a little video here on um, the internet that explains the power of sharing the story and how transformational the story of Christ can be for communities going over decades. So let's just kick back. No popcorn today, but just... Grab about three minutes worth of this story. Welcome back to the story of liberty. This is your host, John Bona. But what can one man do, one man? There's a story about one man who taught a few kids Sunday school class. What could he do? Well, listen what happened. His name was Edward Kimball. You probably never heard of him. One day he decided that one of the kids that he was teaching was not listening in class, so he decided to visit the young man who was working at a shoe store. Edward Kimball was a shy man, and he would not even go into the shoe store at first, but eventually he got up enough nerve and he went in, and he spoke to the young man who was putting boxes of shoes on the shelves. Kimball didn't think he even led the young man to Christ. He tried, but he left there feeling he was unsuccessful. But he did lead him to Christ. The young man was Dwight Moody. You probably heard of him. He later became a famous evangelist and right at the time of the Civil War. His ministry started the Moody Bible Institute, the Moody Church. It was a great church that sent thousands of missionaries around the world. Dwight Moody made an enormous impact for the Kingdom of Christ worldwide. Later in England, he led a man named Meyer to Christ. And Meyer made a huge impact as he preached. Meyer led a man named Chapman, who in turn became a great evangelist and won thousands of people to Christ. When Chapman retired, he turned his ministry over to a baseball player. He influenced by the name of Billy Sunday. We have a story about Billy on our, our website. Billy Sunday really changed the face of America. He went to Charlotte, North Carolina and held a great evangelistic rally. 
Billy was credited with saying, you know, going to church does not make you a Christian any more than going in a garage makes you a car. A number of men were converted at this rally, at Billy's rally, and they formed an organization in 1932, and they had another rally in that same area in Charlotte. They invited a missionary by the name of Mordecai Ham. As Mordecai was preaching, a young man, about 16 years old, gave his life to Christ. His name was Billy Graham. And he's probably preached to more people than any other person in history, face to face. But literally millions and millions of people were converted to Christ around the world through the testimony, the witness of one Sunday school teacher, Edward Kimball, who I'm sure this day shines as bright as a star in heaven. Friends, let's remember that God made us for a purpose, to be co-laborers with him in the redemption of mankind, and to bring souls of men the gift of everlasting life. God made us, and he purchased us with a great price. Fascinating story, isn't it? Over the better part of a century, and of course, Billy Graham passed away just uh, some months ago. But uh, it tells us of uh, the simplicity of sharing the gospel. In the case of Edward Kimball, to be able to share it with one person, one person, in his nervous way, he was, felt he was unsuccessful, uh, a very shy man, but he took it upon himself to do that. And, and the, uh, the, I suppose in these days you talk about it being viral, you know, the ability for things just to spread. And so we see that conclusion in Billy Graham's life. And how many of you here, some of you here, may have actually been to a Billy Graham crusade? How many of you here? Put your hands up high. See? See what I'm saying? Isn't it amazing? And, and you've probably shared the gospel with other people, and so this story just keeps going. Okay? It's just outstanding, isn't it, how it works? Well, we live in a culture now where um, we're surrounded by alternative worldviews. It's called pluralism. So we know that uh, even in today's society within New Zealand, we're, we're not the, the same society that we were 40 years ago, but pluralism means that there are multiple religions and multiple worldviews. And one of the things about living in a society that is politically correct is that you're told because there are other people who have a worldview different to yours, you should keep yours to yourself. Uh, this is the big lie. This is the big intimidation that happens. See, we live in a world where the secular media around us just sifts anything of religious nature out of the news. Okay, they sifts it, sifts it out. I, I had a friend of mine down in Christchurch um, beginning of the year had been part of a, a project that had brought uh, the, a renewal to a school, a renewal being um, fixed up the school after the Christchurch earthquake and got the school swimming pool up and running and, and everything like that. And, uh, and I watched the article... And it, it just finished right there and then when, you know, it said, oh, we were really motivated to give the school uh, back at swimming pool for the sake of the kids. And I said to Duane, I said, oh, did you, you must have said more than that, you know, because I know what your motivations are. You know, you're wanting to, to allow people to experience the kingdom of God and the generosity of God to people who can't help themselves. And, and he said, you know, that was it, but that gets cut off. It gets knocked out. You're not allowed to mention that sort of thing on our secular media. 
And so here we are in a world that's surrounded by this pluralism, and yet we serve a Christ who says, hey, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by through me. And so we're caught in this tension, and it can rob us of our confidence, our ability to be able to share the story of Jesus with others as people have shared it with you. And um, Paul said, sorry, Peter said this to the church. He said, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Now, um, my own story is like your story. It's unique. And the power of your story is that no one can take it away from you. And no one can say that it's wrong. No one can disrespect it. Because it's simply your story about how you came to have a relationship with Christ. For me, when I was a young fellow, my younger brother and I uh, were asked by a local guy who did a car run, picking up kids for Sunday school. He rang my mum, and uh, what more could mum and dad want than to get rid of their two uh, boys for an hour or two on a Sunday morning and give them a bit of a break? And, um, and so off we went to church for about four months at the Tapuna Hall. And during that time, uh, I can remember hearing about Jesus, and something was planted in my, in my spirit. And I, I never thought myself as a, as a churchgoer, but I, I thought myself as a Christian. I thought, well, I live in a Christian society. I know about this person called Jesus. I must be a Christian. And I can remember some years later, about the age of 19, uh, hanging around a barbecue after a rugby game, having a couple of beers with these boys, and... Um, we had a, an American exchange student who was a friend of one of the guys in the team. And uh, he was an African-American guy. And we're having this barbecue on a Saturday after the game. And he goes, so where do you boys go to church tomorrow? I'm like, what? Church? He goes, yeah, where do you go to church? And they all go, oh, we don't go to church. What do you mean you don't go to church? Everybody goes to church. Said, no, no, we don't, we don't go to church. And uh, he says, well, I believe in Jesus. How many of you believe in Jesus? And we're like, most of them went, nah, I don't believe in that rubbish, mate. You know, and, and yet I found myself with one other guy who happened to be the captain of the team, a, a sort of a Catholic guy. And we go, oh, yeah, we believe in Jesus. And he, and, but he turned to the other guys who said that they didn't believe in it. And with tears in his eyes, he was like, so you don't believe in Jesus? And I can barely remember the conversation, but I'll never forget the way I felt. Yeah, Because the way I felt was that this guy had a passionate love for Jesus. And there was something in that moment that I saw and I thought, what I know about God, Jesus, is nothing like the way this guy is describing this. And so again, more seeds planted in my life. And so over, over a season of these seeds being planted... Um, you know, I, I came to an increasing knowledge. And, but one of the things about the gospel that really bothered me was that I got told that I wasn't good enough for heaven. I had this Hollywood heaven idea. You know, as long as you don't murder somebody, you know, as long as you don't go robbing banks, you'll get in. Doesn't everybody on Hollywood get in? Yeah, as long as you're not a murderer, a rapist, or a corporate lawyer, you're fine. <laughs> yeah, you're away. But... Um, it was just before my wedding, and, um, and I was in the pastor's office at the Otomoto Baptist Church, 
And he challenged me to give my life to Christ, and I did. And so that began the journey. In fact, Paul's here today, uh, who led me to Christ. He's sitting over here. Hey, Paul. Let's give Paul a clap. As I've said before, I think uh, you still smell the sulfur on the carpet from that place where I was on my knees. But, um, but the beauty of this, my story is that it's unique. It's not special, but it's unique. And every one of you have a story that's exactly the same. It is unique. And don't feel that you have to have uh, been in a whole lot of trouble, you know, lived on the streets, you know, robbed banks, abused drugs to have a story. You don't have to have had that background to have a story that is compelling for others to listen to. Because if you've been raised in a church, you've been subject to the constraining love of God. And your story in itself is quite unique, that you've been raised in a loving environment and you're a, an altogether person who doesn't sort of have all these troubles and struggles and you're a safe person in your workplace or in your family in your school, this story is your story as well. If it's your story, you hold on to it. You be confident about it. It can't be robbed from you. Um, one of the things about uh, the church that I love is that we do Alpha regularly here. And there's a, a guy called Barry who I used to play rugby with many, many moons ago. Uh, Barry, I got him to go to the Alpha course, right? And he's been to the Alpha course five times now. Okay, I, he loves the food, but he loves the company even more. He's been five times. He's brought his family. He's brought his partner. He's brought his friends. He's brought his neighbors. And uh, just, just the other day, his oldest son got baptized at another church in the city. And his boys are getting involved with Christian surfers. And uh, he just rings me every six weeks and says, Craig, Jesus changed my family. Jesus has changed my life. I would hate to think where we would be if we hadn't have done the Alpha Course all those times and, you know, and, and, and got to know Jesus. And he said, my son was in trouble every weekend, doing drugs, getting into fights. And he said, the other night, he was talking to a mate on the phone and he goes, oh, I've got to go now, bro. He goes, why is that? Oh, it's the time that I set aside to read the Bible. And he's telling his mates that he used to sort of go fast and loose with and, and, and Barry says, I just can't believe it. God's done something magical in my son. You know? And these are the stories that we just love to hear, don't we? You know, that's, that's what it's all about. Um, the book of Revelation, of course, has lots of interesting things to talk about. But it talks about the spiritual battle that we're in. And it says they, that means the saints, triumphed over him, that's Satan, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. So it was all in. They were giving their lives for this cause. But notice how it says they overcame him, okay, by the blood of the lamb, that means the cross, Jesus being the lamb, the blood that was shed for him, and the power of their testimony. Again, it comes back to your story. Your story is powerful. Keep it simple, but don't be shy of sharing your story. Because in the midst of that storytelling, something, something wonderful happens. God's power meets, meets you there in those, in those moments. Um, one of the uh, best bits of advice I was ever given about evangelism was from Pastor Jim Hearn. P Pastor Jim was involved in the life of our church here. He passed away uh, just over 12 months ago. Uh, his wife Kay was in the service earlier on. 
But uh, Jim says, this is the best question that he asks people. He says, tell me about your spiritual journey. It's not threatening, is it? You, know, you could ask people, tell me about what you do for sport and recreation. Tell me about your family. Tell me about your spiritual journey. Have you got a spiritual journey? And Jim says, you can start in all sorts of places. And I've found this too. You know, people will say, oh, yeah, I read my horoscope every day. Okay? Right, that's, that's a spiritual journey. Okay? Oh, yeah, I went to a clairvoyant a couple of years ago. So this is, these are the conversations I've had. Been to a clairvoyant a couple of days ago, uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, and, and you can have these sorts of um, strange starting places, but they are an opportunity to hear somebody open up about their own understanding of spiritual life. And that gives you room to explain to them your own spiritual journey and what that means for you. It's a, it's a really gentle meeting place. You know, it's not confrontational. It's just a, a gentle conversation starter. And uh, it doesn't mean you have to conclude the conversation. You keep it going. And you realize that uh, around you, there will be people who are also being used by God to help that person hear the story of Jesus. Um, I know in my own life, um, my, my family, my in-laws, my mother-in-law was praying for me. What chance did I have? Eh? <laughs> but there'll be other people who are also engaging in the person that you're engaging with. And that's why I think it's really important to realize that we need a community to uh, share the good news about, uh, share the new, good news with. Um, you know, that's why a night before Christmas to me is so important because we, the community, get to bless others and be engaged in the wider community of our, of our city. And that gives us just a simple credibility, the ability to be there, to represent Christmas, and just to simply uh, shine that light for others and bless them. That's so why I love uh, different ministries like a good neighbor, like good neighbor, who are out there ministering to others, demonstrating the kingdom of God, showing the love of Jesus in really practical ways. Uh, even just recently, this last two days, we've had the Global Leadership Summit held here, and some of the folks in our church were bold enough to invite their colleagues from work. And uh, that was really special. I just really commend Clint for doing that. There's Clint. And uh, Clint introduced me to one of his work colleagues, and the first thing he said to me was, you're not what I expected. <laughs> you know, and I'm, I don't know what he expected, really, you know, sort of funny hat maybe, uh, in a sort of a, a robe. Um, that would be different, wouldn't it? But we, we had a good opportunity to connect. I chatted with them. We chatted over things in common and you know, just dispelled some of that fear or myth about what church life can be. It takes a community to help break down those mindsets, those preconceived ideas of what church life is all about. And, and that's why we need each other. Is it true? We need each other so that we can build a credible witness of the fact that Christ in our lives is a positive difference and getting on together, people from all different backgrounds, different ethnicities, different ages, uh, all that difference can be placed or set aside for the sake of knowing Christ. It's a very unique community that we are part of. So Paul says this, he says, so neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. 
You are God's field, God's building. So we realize that we're part of a network of things that are happening in people's lives. And we're the ones who plant, we're the ones who water, or somebody else is the one who water. I, see, I just see Colin and Tania over here. It's a great beard you're growing, Colin. Um, these folks have just returned from Mashidabad after spending four years up in north of India. Wow. And um, they did a fantastic job there of establishing uh, a work in the poorest of the poor communi poorest communities in the world. And, and yet they've been able to plant and others are watering. I know when they left this farming unit that they had set up, uh, desperation, they were praying for someone to come in and a, and a, a local pastor came in who would be the perfect person to take over this farming unit to be able to share the gospel in their language with them and further that work. So one plants, one waters, okay? Colin, if that work grows as good as your beard, it's going to be a revival, mate. <laughs> so this is, the, this is the beauty of the church, isn't it? Somebody comes in, somebody takes it over, somebody waters, somebody plants, but God reaps the harvest. Now, the critical thing about sharing your story is that um, there's got to be prayer involved, okay? You can't do this in your own strength. And uh, even Jesus commented on this. It's quite a unique answer that Jesus gives to a significant problem of the fact that there are so many people who need to hear the story of Jesus, but there's not enough people to do it. So let's see what Jesus has to say about that. It says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Some of your Bibles will say, pray to the Lord of the harvest, therefore. Okay, ask, pray, same thing, really. But what, um, what you would expect Jesus to say to his disciples is, the harvest is plentiful, so get off your backside and start harvesting. But he doesn't. He says, pray. Pray to the Lord of the harvest. In other words, pray to God himself that he would raise up an army of people who can go out and be part of this great harvest. Okay, so it's a, it's a reminder that this is a spiritual battle. There's a dividing line in society, and it's called the person of Jesus. You can talk about God. You can talk about spiritual things. You can talk about horrible scopes all you like. But you mention, you mention the word of Jesus, and you've entered into a whole new realm. You can turn passive 90-year-old great-grandmothers into raging demons at the, at the name of Jesus. I've seen it happen. Because why? Because the spiritual powers and principalities draw a line at the Son of God, at the, son, at the person of God, okay, in Jesus Christ. So realize that you need more authority than you're given in your own flesh. You need to have God working with you, and you need to be working with God. So, so pray, pray. And then with kindness and gentleness and respect, share the story and the hope that you have. One of the things that I've discovered over the last seven years as being the, uh, working for the Baptist churches um, is that there seems to be a lack of confidence in the gospel itself. And what I mean by that is that we can easily be distracted to do everything in the life of the church except tell people about Jesus. We do great music. We can have great social programs. We can fight injustice nationally and internationally. And these are 
great things to be involved with. But we've still got to confront people with this compelling story that God's son, Jesus, arrived in our world 2,000 years ago and made a, made a way for us to know God. That in itself, if, it's the truth, if that truth is ignored, then we've been a blessing, but we haven't introduced people to Jesus. And, and so we've come so far, and we've, we've stopped. Okay? It's a little bit like, I was trying to think of this, this is sort of how my mind works, but I was trying to think of this last night. I was thinking, you know, what is, what is it like when we do everything except, except share the gospel? It's a little bit like owning a car. If somebody just dropped a car there, and um, maybe, maybe you uh, found that you'd, uh, this is a person who didn't know what the car was, right? And they find the key and they turn it on. It makes noise. And they go, wow, this is cool. I don't know what it is, but it makes noise. And I notice that if I stand by the exhaust pipe, it warms me up. So this is a great thing for warming me up. Yeah? And then they look around it and they go, you know, it's got some comfortable seats. We, sh- we should be able to sleep in this. So they all sleep in it. And they warm themselves up. And then they push a few more buttons and they find an air conditioning unit in a hot day. They can turn the aircon on. And they go, this is a great thing. It warms us up, cools us down, and we can sleep in it. And somebody else pushes another button and the music comes on. They go, wow, we get entertained as well. And they push another button and the lights come on. Look at this, we can see at night. What a great thing this is. And so they celebrate it without actually getting engaged with its original intention. Does it make sense? And the gospel can be like that. We can, we can do great works for people. We can fight injustice. We can help the poor. We can counsel folks. We can give heaps of love to them, invite them to our worship services. But it's not until they get in gear, engage with Jesus, does this whole thing actually come alive. And the real reason, the real purpose for Jesus coming is actually shown to us. Does that help? But I, I, it really makes me nervous, actually. I, a, lot of, a lot of churches are around, you know, warming themselves around nice fellowship, you know, or shining the light into areas of injustice. That's cool. But you've got to have a transformational community that actually introduces people to Jesus. Otherwise, the whole thing's just sort of like a, a good works club, maybe, or a coffee club. You know, we just have fellowship. Anyway. The thing about the gospel is that it's the power of God to save people. And in today's society, the gospel itself seems like an old story. An old story. And it doesn't make a great deal of sense. But let's remind ourselves of something that the Apostle Paul said. I'll jump here. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. At the top there, it says, we preach Christ crucified. This is a strange thing that happens, even in the midst of a... uh, a technologically driven era that we're in, 
with all of that social media around, there's something still extremely powerful about what happens when you explain the cross to people. It's like heaven and earth is waiting for that opportunity, for that story to be said, and, and God meets people in that moment. You can talk about all sorts of things, but when you present Christ and his story, something shifts in the atmosphere. It's the Holy Spirit doing something in their lives. And this is why the Apostle Paul was really, really happy to say, no one understands this. Jews look for signs. They look for you know, miracles. Gentiles look at the cross and say, or Greeks look at the cross and say, this is this absolute foolishness. How does salvation come to this planet through a Jewish carpenter who gets nailed to a cross? How does this work? Well, it does. That's the bottom line. It does. This is God's story for us. I know over the years, you know, I've had um, <clears throat> lots of times to share the gospel. It's a real privilege to do so. But the, the challenge that we face is to help people understand, like probably a little bit like I was, you know, the understanding that you fall short of what God expects for you to be and do. And I was really offended by that when I found that I wasn't eligible for heaven and I hadn't run over anybody, I hadn't killed anybody, I hadn't robbed the bank, so to speak, and I, I miss out. Um, when I was at college, <clears throat> Baptist College, um, we moved to a new premise, and on this new premise was a squash court. And so all the boys decided, there's one there, we all decided that we were going to learn how to play squash. After 12 months, man, we were good. We were so good. We were lathers of sweat, uh, absolutely worn out every time. We have these huge battles that go on for an hour or so. And uh, there's a mate of ours, Peter Foster, who's Baptist uh, church pastor in Fokutani. And um, he played club squash, all right? And um, he came to came to class one day and he told us that he had just been uh, relegated up, relegated up? Yeah. From an E grader to a D grader. And I looked at him and I thought, you've got to be kidding me. You must be the most uncoordinated person that ever walked onto a squash court. He'd been playing, playing squash for five years and he'd just gone from being an E grader to a D grader. I mean, me and the boys, we just, we were just caning it in there, you know? Man. Anyway, Peter turned up one day at the end of the year. We'd all been practicing all year, and uh, he, he turned up the squash court, and me and Mike Coleman, another guy I was playing squash with that day, um, Peter walked in and said, hey, look, um, can three of us play on the court? And we're like, oh, yeah, I suppose, I suppose so. I've never done that before. And he goes, what say I play both of you? And we're like, <laughs> don't be silly. What say I play both of you? And he said, no, no, we'll start this way. I said, oh, okay, all right. Well, we played three sets, and in three sets we got one point. As he absolutely whipped us. It was one of life's more embarrassing moments, and um, I now have huge respect for any degrader. <laughs> but the story, the story of the gospel is a little bit like this, isn't it? Um, and I explained this having heard, um, heard this from uh, Bill Hybels, 
many years ago, but I've used it quite successfully to share the gospel over the years. God is holy, okay? And uh, here's this sort of scale, you know, of 10, 0. And um, so the, the question when you ask somebody is, how do you think you go on this holiness graph? Where would you put yourself? Okay, and I can remember this guy, Terry, explaining, explaining it to him. And he goes, oh, probably, probably about here. Oh, yeah, yeah, you don't rob banks either. No, no, don't rob banks. You're good. Um, I said, you know what? Um, let's try and sort of get a bit of perspective on this. Um, you know, I've just read a biography about Mother Teresa. You know, you know what? Mother Teresa just never really saw herself as being that, that good, really. But we do. We think she was pretty cool, eh? He goes, oh, yeah, man, she worked with the dying and the lost. And, you know, so Mother Teresa would probably put herself maybe about here. Mother Teresa. You know, and uh, well, Billy Graham. You heard of Billy Graham, the great evangelist? Spoke to millions of people. He just saw himself as a humble guy from a farming background. He never really saw that he had much to offer, just his words. You know, Billy would probably put himself here, you know. And, um, and myself, well, look, you know, I'm a sinner saved by grace. I, um, you know, but like Paul, one who was unusually born, as Paul described it, uh, a revelation of God, and I'd, I'd probably, you know, I'd have to put myself probably about here. So... So where do you think you should go yourself? And of course, it's always further down the pecking order. And, and this is important because the biggest problem that we have sharing the gospel is that we run into ourself. The heart, above all things, is deceitfully wicked. Okay, And so we, we think that we're always doing better than we are. And so once you actually help people see that their distance from God and their righteousness from God, righteousness in God is further away than what they originally thought, uh, now you have a perspective-altering conversation. And now you can introduce the cross of Christ as the way in which Christ came to save us, to bridge this gap between where we are and God's, God's level of holiness. And this sounds really, really simple. This looks really, really simple. Some of you would have used the, the uh, bridge story, you know, of how we're separated from God. But the most important thing for us to do is to introduce others to the love of God. Because this story is all about the love. We, we live in a world that says, I've got to earn my way to God. You know, I've got to I've got to help people more. I've got to be kinder. I've got to be generous. You know, I've got to do all of these things. And, and this is the lie that the enemy tells people. I've got a mate that I traveled overseas with years ago, and every time I see him, he says, how's church going? I say, it's good. He says, one day I'll be good enough. One day I'll be good enough to go to your church. I say, Bruce, you don't have to be good. No, no, one day I'll be good enough. And I don't know what it is from his past that he's carrying, but there's something there that uh, keeps him back. And so it's just trying to help him with others understand the grace of God. 
Yeah. It's quite funny, on uh, the last couple of days we had the Global Leadership Summit and halfway through the event there was a power outage and um, a number of people saw a huge flash outside and so we originally thought it was a lightning. And so um, I got up in front of these folks and I said, those of you here who don't normally go to church and you thought that there would be a bolt of lightning strike you as you came in the doors, um, you'd just be grateful it just missed you. Okay, as it happened, it was a car that hit a power pole. But um, people have the sense in which they're never good enough. And what we've got to do is overcome that with the picture and the story of the cross. We're going to finish now. The reason why I wanted to explain this power of witness is because your story is easily robbed from you. Your story is easily robbed from you. If there's something that the enemy can do to you, it's to make make you think that your story is irrelevant, that doesn't carry any weight at all, that it's something that is inconsequential or something that others will laugh at. The most important thing for you to do is realize that your story has power, has the ability to help other people's lives change. And I just don't want to ever have you have that robbed of you, Okay? And, and if you do your part, if you plant, if you water, you don't have to reap the harvest immediately, but God is in the business of helping other people hear the story through varieties of lips. And that's the power of your story, the power of your testimony. Once again, let's just put up your hands, those of you who can remember having someone tell you that story of Jesus. You see? That's the difference it makes. That's the difference it makes. And you have that power within you at the right time and the right moment to share the love of God. Why don't we stand and pray? God, we thank you that uh, somewhere, at some time, somebody was bold enough to share the story of Jesus with us. The foolishness of the cross intersected our worldly wisdom in a way that can only make sense when we realize that it must be God speaking to us. And we have so many loved ones on our hearts and minds even now amongst us, family members, children, parents, neighbors, friends, work colleagues, recreational colleagues, all these people who you've put in our lives whom you love and whom we care for. Lord, we just want to have confidence that when the time is right, we can tell our story respectfully, lovingly, kindly, and allow you to make that extra difference, that witnesses to their heart and mind. So God, let us have confidence, let us have boldness, and let us have simplicity. The simple story of Jesus crucified. And help us, Lord, to, to be a witness to the power of your saving knowledge. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And today, look, if any of you are here and you resonate with my artwork over here, you're saying, yeah, that's, I've always thought I had to earn God's favor. I had to get up that ladder and make things right with God in my own strength. I just want to tell you that the good news is that God meets you where you are. He offers you forgiveness. He offers you hope 
where you are today. And uh, if you want to complete that transaction with God and have someone pray with you, then you do that today. Don't, don't take the story home and, and, and let it slip by. I just invite you to come up the front and after the service maybe or during the song and we'll have folks here who would just love to talk with you and pray with you and make sure that you've got real clarity about what it is that you're doing.